Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, and George Belshaw of Metro.co.uk. Davis Cup final is over. So I actually said last week, and no one gave me that much abuse about it, I said last week that the tennis season was over. Now it's really over. Mm. Really, definitely, definitely over. Everyone's on holiday. Flip-flops are on. Alexander Zverev's on the beach. It's all over. But Croatia are Davis Cup champions. And I think deserved ones, George. Yes, I'd agree. So, um, you know, I think they were the favourites heading into the tournament. Cilic and Choric are a pretty strong doubles pairing. And... So it emerged they won all the singles matches. They lost to France's strong doubles pairing. Um, and yeah, it's obviously had a bit of an emotional significance this weekend with the change of the format, which I know we've kind of done to death exactly what's happening, but it was quite interesting seeing all the, all of it come together as a kind of final Davis Cup atmosphere this weekend. And the crowd pretty much made it clear what fans think of the new Davis Cup format. Well, certainly the French fans aren't very happy, are they? No. Uh, they I mean, that's not unusual for French fans, to be fair. But um, you know, they gave a uh, good old ITF president David Haggerty uh, a fairly uh, round booing uh, the Lille crowd. So um, no great surprises there that they're not happy. And you know, we had people like Luca Pui chipping in and saying he'll never play this again and it's dead and all that. You know. But I think fans hating the new format is not something we didn't know. You only have to look at Twitter for five seconds yeah. and see what people are saying. Now, there is a possibility that this is the loud minority. There's also the thing where tennis is trying to grow itself as usual in a crowded marketplace. So actually, the people complaining about it are tennis fans, mm. but that's not the point. The yeah. new Davis Cup is not for the tennis fans. It's for the non-tennis fans, isn't it? Yeah, and I do agree with that. I mean, from my personal perspective, I, I think the great thing the Davis Cup has and what it showed again this weekend is that brilliant home and away atmosphere that's very unique to tennis. And it, it, at its best, it's pretty unique to sport. There's a really, really partisan kind of atmosphere in there. Um, are they going to be able to recreate that in a neutral venue? 
are they going to have these fan sections? You know, we've spoken about that kind of rotational thing. Will that work? Can you ever really capture that essence? Is it really what we want to kind of lose that unique selling point of the Davis Cup? Um, so I think that's where their anger kind of stems from. The ideal world scenario and what it could be is like a World Cup of tennis. You know, a festival of international tennis, a real partisan atmosphere. The players love the Davis Cup because they get to play in a team environment. They very rarely get to do that. Now, I know that a lot of them haven't played it in the past because of basically scheduling. And that's the problem, isn't it? That large numbers of people aren't going to play that. We saw an interview with, I think, Freddie Rosengren um, this week. You know, Carl Edmonds' coach basically saying they say they're going to get Djokovic and Federer. That's bull turd. <laughs> I mean, are they going to get anyone at this rate? Djokovic sending around an email telling people to boycott the rule because they can't play the Olympics if they don't play. I don't know how you boycott a specific rule, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it was quite a weirdly phrased way of saying it by Rosengren, and he was kind of careful to say, "Oh." Um, he's not necessarily saying boycott the Davis Cup, but mm. surely you have to boycott the Davis Cup to boycott that rule. It's I don't, quite hard I don't to know. boycott a specific rule. Yeah, <laughs> and presumably they're going to just lobby for change of that rule yes. and make it not essential to play the Davis Cup to qualify for for the Olympics. And I mean, if if that rule goes out the window, then this Davis Cup is in serious trouble because it's in trouble anyway. But that rule inspiring people to go to Tokyo in 2020, having them play this event next year if if the top guys aren't turning up if no one's turning up it's going to be a, a real tough sell do you think if they had just timed it better if they just picked a different point in the calendar players might have gone for it i think so yeah i do think so i know I think... the fans were never going to go for it because of what it entails it's taking yeah. tennis away from them essentially i think so look you know there's still 20 million prize money there it's not it's not your bog standard event mm. um so a lot of players will be interested from that perspective I think if it had been a more thought-out proposal of the Davis Cup, people wouldn't be so against it. But, you know, we've said months ago that there are so many logistic problems with this World Cup. Having a World Cup over a week in one city doesn't make sense. And you just have to look at the ATP Team Cup. Well, not Team Cup, they've dropped the team. But the ATP Cup that they've released six weeks later, that's over 10 days, three different cities, with one day put aside for travelling. Now, that makes a lot more sense to me. That Mm. in terms of you've got different locations, you can make it big in each of these little cities like a world cup you wouldn't put a world cup all in one city that'd be chaos and you never mind putting it all across one week it's just not thought out and i think had there been this wonderful proposal this real plan this better space in the calendar then people might have gone for it um but there's just not been that no Uh, and i think it's uh it's going to struggle that's the thing is if the first one's good and people really a bit like the nation's league in football if People were pretty sceptical about that and said, we don't understand. But if the players get behind it and the players all turn up, then everything else will fall into yeah. place. Once, once there's talent is there, then it kind of won't matter. If they enjoy themselves, it'll be fine. But actually, the problem is that at the moment, most of them aren't going to be there. So it's pretty disappointing from that perspective because I think it has actual potential to be a really exciting event and a, a still a unique one. I know it's not going round the houses, but it'll still be a pretty exciting event. I'm delighted to say we can now speak to one of Britain's most decorated, well, athletes, never mind tennis players, uh, a US Open singles title, a US Open doubles title. And Look, if I list everything you've won, Jordan, we're going to run out of time to actually talk, but thank you very much for joining us. Now, tell me a little bit about where you are in your career now. I understand you're about to come back from... Well, a career break, some people might talk, but you've also been quite busy having a child. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I've been out for the last sort of 18 months. I had my son um, in January this year. Um, but I'm now in back in full-time training. Um, I'm looking to play our national championships actually this weekend. Um, and my first international tournament will be in February next year. Fantastic. And uh, last time we saw you out playing competitive tennis, I believe I'm right in saying, was Wimbledon 2017, is that right? When you won yeah, the title then? Right. Yeah, that's right. And, and you were 11 weeks pregnant then, is that also right? I was, yeah. I, I did know that I was pregnant um, and um, my doubles partner, Yui, was the only person who, who knew as well. Um, I, I'd qualified for Wimbledon and um, I really wanted to play. Um, it was safe for me to play, so I was medically clear. Um, but I, I really didn't expect to do very well there because I was suffering from severe um, morning sickness, which actually was all day sickness. Um, so yeah, yeah the, the term morning fun. sickness. I, I, my my sister's had a child, and my other sister's currently pregnant. And they're they're explained to me repeatedly the morning sickness doesn't just happen in the morning, right? No, it's all day, all night. It's just sickness. <laughs> and that I mean, physically, that's a pretty incredible feat were, were there points during your run where you thought actually you know what I'm, I'm ju- I just want to stay in bed oh yeah like basically for the whole tournament and um, it was actually worse in the morning so I was really upset to find that the doubles final was being played first thing at 11am first mm. match on um, so the first set was actually really difficult for me because I was really struggling um, and I, I think we lost that set um, but then I just sort of took a toilet break and was like okay you know what I've only got like an hour or two hours left on this court until I'm going to, you know, go and, and have a break from the sport. So I really wanted to just absolutely give it everything. And if I was sick, I was sick. But, but thankfully I wasn't because that would have, I would have actually done some explaining. <laughs> um, and obviously you've, you took quite a long period of time off since then. Have you had a burning desire to get back into tennis the whole time? Or is that something that's grown more and more? Have you missed it? Um, yeah, originally I didn't miss it at all. Um, probably it wasn't until maybe May this year that I really started missing it because um, I started watching um, like Roland Garros and Wimbledon and also our World Team Cup, which was on at the time. So I was sort of watching all of my competitors play um, and I just really started to, to miss it again. Um, but up until then, I was like really loving the break because I, I hadn't had a break from the sport, you know, since I was, well, forever because I've I've played it since I was three years old and so it was just really nice to have a sort of normal life. And and so when did you start kind of training again and how has having a child shifted your perspective on kind of playing professional tennis now? Is it the most important thing to you again or do you kind of find it hard to prioritise over being a mum now? Yeah so I've been in training just since uh, sort of September, mid-September, so not too long. Um, it is a lot different because obviously before I had my son, um, I, w- I would train, you know, all day, every weekday um, and I'd go to the tournaments I wanted to go to. Sometimes I'd be away for you know, three weeks or so, whereas now I've ha- I do four days a week training um, just purely because I can't get childcare on one of the days. So I have to sort of make all of my training count because I am limited. Um, and I've actually just sat down with my coach and we've just drafted a um, tournament schedule for next year. And you know, it's really difficult because part of my brain is, is saying to me, OK, I want to go here, here, here. And then the other part's like, no, I have a son. I don't want to be away, you know, half the year because he turns one um, in January and I don't want to miss that. And so it is really difficult um, to sort of balance. But um, my son is my priority. Um, 
because you know I don't want to miss the biggest milestones in his life, and I don't I don't want to be away from him too much. We've obviously had a very high-profile player in Serena Williams do something similar. Uh, have you learned anything from her going through that experience in the very public arena at all? Yeah, I mean, it was nice to really see her come back and, and do so well mm. um, so soon because I thought, you know, I didn't know how I was going to be coming back and I've, I've still got some weight to lose, um, so I'm still not physically in the best shape. Um and, you know, just to see her do incredible in the slams has just given me a bit of confidence. You know, it is actually possible to, to come back after having a baby and, and still be at the top of your game. And have you got any goals in mind immediately for coming back or any long-term goals? What, how are you uh, yeah, well, ultimately, um, I'm going to Tokyo 2020. Um, that's like the big goal. Um and in the meantime, I don't have a ranking because we don't have protective rankings in wheelchair tennis. So I need to get my ranking up um, so I can get back into the slams again. Um, so my, my goal really for next year is to try and make Wimbledon and US Open. I think it's going to be really, really tough. Um, but it, it is it's possible. But um, yeah, that that's a, a bit of a long shot, but it's my goal. And uh, realistically, w- w- what does it entail qualifying for Wimbledon and the US Open? Like, do you have to win a lot of tournaments? What What's the kind of yeah? Measure? So I have to be um, top seven in the world, um, and then they do one wild card. So I do have a shot at getting the wild card if I don't have a direct entry. Mm. Um, but in terms of tournaments, yeah, I would have to um, you know be winning some of the smaller tournaments and doing well in some of the bigger tournaments, which is difficult when you don't have a ranking because. Um, I won't be a seeded player, so I could come across, you know, the better players or, or some of the top girls in the early rounds. Uh, Jordan, I understand your 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 partner is also a wheelchair tennis player. Um, how has that helped? I mean, has it helped? Has it made things harder? You're obviously both having to juggle a lot of different balls in the air. Yeah, so he um, retired um, and went into uh, coaching. Mm. So now he's a full-time tennis coach and also my coach. So it actually helps because having him as my coach and we could we could travel as a family if we wanted to. Mm. Um, and, you know, with my training, um, it's very flexible because obviously we're at home and we can talk about how we can um, work our timings around um, our son. So it is... It is really good, and I'm I'm so lucky that I have him on my team. I wonder because that that first child, you know, I know from friends and family that what, it completely changes your relationship. I think when you you have a child because you you just have so many more different priorities and so much. Have you found it stressful doing that and then having to you know try and get back to your career? Yeah, it is stressful. Um, it is busy. Um, I do have a lot of help from grandparents and um, my partner's sister as well. She helps out a lot on the weekends. So without that like family support, um, it would just be impossible because um, Jackson only goes to nursery uh, two times a week and that wouldn't be possible just on that. So you know, it is really, really difficult um, and it is stressful, but it is something that I feel like if I don't come back, um, I will regret it because it's, I've never been on the singles podium uh, at Paralympics and it is my lifelong dream to be on the podium and I know that Tokyo may be my last chance um, so I do want to give it absolutely everything for the next two years. Um, just just returning briefly to Serena's where she's come back as well, um, 
have you watched how she's kind of managed her schedule? Because um, she seems to have not played that many events since coming back. And particularly she came back at like Indian Wells and Miami, realised she wasn't quite ready, was willing to take six weeks off to do kind of pure training. Was it, Do you think that's a kind of similar thing you'll do? Maybe reduce your schedule a lot, really cherry pick the tournaments that are important to you? Yeah, absolutely. That is um, one of the main things that's changed. Um, and I actually sat down with my Federation the Tennis Foundation and said... Like if I am to come back, um, I hope you can understand that I have different priorities to some of your other athletes and they've been so supportive um, of what I need to do. And um, yeah, I will literally just be playing the tournaments that are absolutely necessary. Well, Jordan, I mean, the very best of luck and uh, the best of health to Jackson, of course. And I'm sure it's going to be really exciting to see you making a comeback and, and returning and hopefully on that, that podium in Tokyo 2020. Yeah, hopefully. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was Jordan Wiley, 10-time Grand Slam wheelchair tennis champion and former world number one. Fascinating talking to Jordan, isn't it? It's such a big challenge to, to go from. And what's amazing is that women do it in normal life all the time and we don't really talk about it. But when they do it in professional sport, it kind of puts it on a pedestal to go from having a child to then back into a professional career. And the parallels with Serena are really amazing considering they both won that last Grand Slam while pregnant. Yeah. Serena, eight weeks. Jordan, 11 weeks. Um, talking about having like having morning sickness on the day of her final yeah. and just basically vomiting her way through Wimbledon. And just no one knowing in either scenario. So yeah. Apart from the doubles partner, I think Venus knew in mm. Serena's case. Um, yeah. But I think it'll be really interesting to see if those parallels continue and they both go on to many uh, future Grand Slam wins. Yeah, we hope. And of course, Serena, we have been talking about this week as well, because Joe Conta has been talking about her at the Oxford Union. It's a great privilege to address the Oxford Union to be invited. And Joe is a perfect person to do some of that because she's so measured and such a... Uh, when I say good talker, I don't mean what people usually mean, because when they say good talker, they mean someone who's funny. and sort of, I don't think Joe is that. I don't think she's a sort of natural stand-up comedian. But, but what she is, is a thoughtful person. And she's come out and talked about the... Serena Williams debate with, well, I mean, given she had a couple of months to think about it, it is a perfectly formed opinion, if you ask me. She said that the umpire was right, there are a number of different elements, and that you can't just use inequality, however much there may be, as something, as a catch-all that you can sweep under the carpet. I don't know what you thought, but I was really behind Joe on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think at the time... A lot of people were arguing the same sort of thing, that they didn't think sexism was at play, that they think Carlos Ramos has a history of taking out men as much as women in terms of being a stickler for the rules. Um, you know, that's not to say things weren't going on with Serena. There's obviously a lot of history there, which Joe alluded to. There's a lot of other factors going on. Um, but at the end of the day... It, it was just an umpire doing his job how he normally does it. Yeah, actually, she made a point that I hadn't quite thought about, was that she said emotions are running high and that's something that you have to actually be a bit careful with because there's a lot of negative stereotyping that goes on with gender and mm -hmm. emotions running high but then she said remember that for Serena this is the US Open this is a particularly big deal for Serena and that I thought was a really good point that I hadn't actually thought about is that this isn't just a Grand Slam this is one of the biggest Grand Slams of Serena's life because it's it's a post baby home Grand Slam her career seems to have taken on a a sort of special providence now where she seems to think that and quite rightly if you ask me everything she does after olympia is sort of more special because of what it means to her of what it means to win a grand slam in front of her child you know that sort of thing 
So yeah, I actually hadn't even quite registered how emotionally charged that moment was. What ensued afterwards is neither here nor there, but it was it was a I didn't expect when I opened that article to read a fresh point of view this far on and actually she made me do that. So it, it was fascinating from that perspective. Yeah, not to mention chasing Margaret Court's 24 Grand Slam record. You know, it really was everything coming together and then as you say, with it being the US Open, so many things have happened to her there mm. in the past that, you know, all just kind of came together as one big mesh. But I still would like to see an apology from Serena to Carlos Ramos. I suspect we will never get that. One day, George. One day. Keep waiting. Now, if there's one man who we've heard more from since he stopped doing his job than we did while he was doing it, it's Tony Nadal. No longer on tour, which means he has a weekly column in El País, or I, apologies for my mispronunciation of the Spanish newspaper. And it's great uh, for clickbait tennis journalists. It's also great for tennis fans because he's always got something to say. And he's always talking about Roger Federer. <laughs> it's kind of brilliant. I, I suppose he feels he doesn't want to talk about Rafa too much. So like, I'll talk about Roger. He really annoys me. And he's essentially said, what can we expect from 2019? I find it hard to see Federer lifting another Grand Slam. Obviously, I do not say it for his game. I have to confess, he has surprised me before. I, I mean, he's tried to mitigate it, but he knows what he's doing. He knows that he's written a big line, and he just can't bring himself away from it. Is he right? I, I'm so reluctant always to write off Federer, but, 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 I think he is right. I think he is. I'm going to not sit on the fence for once and agree with Tony Nadal. I think Federer, at the back end of this year, I know he's been pointing to that hand injury a bit, but I don't really think that has been the difference. I think he's a little... Slow is a little more agitated, is a lot more kind of cranky. Um, results just aren't going his way. The rise of Djokovic is arguably the biggest factor now. You know, Djokovic hadn't come back as he has T- coming into this Australian Open. You'd be like, well, I think Federer is the favourite there still because Rafa's only won there once. Um, but Djokovic's rise, he has to be the favourite to win that tournament. Zverev seems to have improved. It's interesting to see where he is. Um, I, I just think people don't fear Federer right now. Um, and it's not going to get any easier. There is that that fear factor for at least there was, and that always I think bought him a, an extra percentage point because people play him in a different way. That they, they go out there already beaten. And tennis is such a psychological game because it's actually quite a simple game. Psychologically, if you are able to compartmentalize all the physical pain you're going through and all, and be able to think about the game through that mist of federalism and and where you're playing and when you're playing if you're able to do that it's much easier and what he's now is done is evaporated that mist in some way so i would be tempted to agree with you i think the problem for me is that if he doesn't win a grand slam in 2019 that's it i don't think he wins another grand you've slam. already predicted that. oh well, yeah yeah <laughs> i he's, thought he's you meant re- that's it retiring, i know yeah. i mean he that is also it he's retiring uh was it swiss indoors Geneva, swiss it? indoors labor next cup, year. I, no it's labor cup you said oh did i okay very good <laughs> can't remember my own prediction this is the thing they just come to me like visions it's an out-of-body experience so i th- i think he might win another grand slam that, that's my thinking which one i mean it's got to be wimbledon hasn't it it's got to be wimbledon he should have won it probably this year although maybe he wouldn't have been Djokovic but I think still walking out on court against Federer at Wimbledon still gets in people's heads and if he gets favourable draw and if they give him the special treatment that he deserves <laughs> the preferential treatment that Roger Federer deserves George uh, then I think get him out on centre court all the time because remember he lost to Anderson on one and I, I really think that makes a difference playing Federer on one one's a weird court it, it's 
it doesn't feel like centre at all. It's not as closed in. No. It's so open. It's quite windy. It, it is a very different court. I think this is one of those, like, we're privileged in our position to have been able to sat on those courts and understand the conditions. And people, I think, underrate actually how different they are. And if you're Federer and you've played X number of matches on centre and you're playing against Anderson, who probably can count on two hands the number of times he had played on centre before then, <laughs> it makes a massive difference. You can't even practice there. So uh, imagine walking out there for the first time and having to play Roger Federer. Absolutely nightmarish. So if anywhere can rediscover Roger Federer's fog and the, the mystery that falls over people when they play him, it's Wimbledon. So if he's going to win one, it's that one. Uh, it will obviously need Djokovic to lose or get injured to someone else because I don't see Federer, even at Wimbledon, I don't see Federer beating him. But that's that's how, that's the great thing about knockout to- tournaments. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes someone else does your work for you and you can go and win it. And you never know who, by Wimbledon, who's going to be back. It could be well, Andy yeah, yeah. Murray running around. It could be... <laughs> All right, calm down. <laughs> uh, could, I mean, uh, I think that's the thing as well, isn't it? Six months is a long time in tennis. We don't know who's going to have broken down or had surgery or, or what's going to have happened. But I suppose it's exciting and, and we'll, of course, be sitting in this dark air-conditioned room talking about it all. I don't know when we're going to be back, George, at all. Well, I, I think we can do a nice season review. And oh, of course. We, oh, thing. So yeah, I think we well, can, yeah, I'm going to dust off my tux and we're going to do the uh, Love Tennis Podcast Awards. Yes. And I'll get um, Father Jack saying award a lot. Award! 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 And we can have some... Silverware, maybe. I don't. If we I'll, can find some in here, uh, I'll be honest, mate. It's gonna you're gonna be covering things with tin foil. That's that's the kind of budget we're operating <laughs> at. The shiny show. I almost forgot, George. Are you following us on Twitter? You should be at Love Tennis Pod. If you do, you get to take part in really exciting polls. Mm. Uh, we, the one we put out last time was: Do you think Sasha Zverev will win his first Grand Slam in 2019? Obviously, this was just after he had won the biggest title of his career, ATP World Tour Finals. It was close, but 58% of you said no, 2019 is not the year for Zverev to win his first Grand Slam. George, where do you stand on this? I agree with the no's. Really? I'm a no man. Why? Because you think Djokovic is going to win all four? <laughs> I think Djokovic will win at least three and Nadal will win the other one. Okay. So, I, no, I mean, I don't know Djokovic will win all three or four, but I, I think he starts right now how he's playing, how I'm expecting him to play for the year as the favourite to be year-end number one, as the favourite of all slams apart from the French. Uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say he is streets ahead of everyone when he's at his best, mm. um, apart from Rafa on clay. Also, just think for Zver- from Zverev's perspective, there's a long way to go from what he is right now to becoming a Grand Slam champion. He's only reached one quarter-final, and the quarter-final he did reach, he was barely fit enough to walk for. So I think it's it's a big mental shift to go from no Grand Slams, only one quarterfinal to expecting him to win. Sure. Um, that said, he said himself that Lendl's effect will really start to be seen in six months' time. So that's quite an exciting prospect that we've not seen Lendl getting the best out of him yet. And I do believe Sasha will win a lot in the future. But as I said about Novak winning his first Tour Finals last week he then didn't win a slam for another two or three years after that so we've got to have a bit of patience with that that result doesn't mean he's going to automatically win the slams if we can get improvement quarters of every slam a couple of semis or a final and then then, you know then then you're in the you're in the boggle box randomizer that is grand slam what about you 
I think he might. Uh, so Benjamin S on Twitter saying Australian Open the first Grand Slam event. Everyone's going to be fresh going in there. Maybe he can perform well. But as the season goes on, the best of five format requires physical fitness and willpower. I think that's a reasonable point. I think he is going to have quite a chilled out winter, and I actually think the ATP World Tour finals come at the worst time. If the Australian Open was next week, I think he could win it because I think he's a streaky player. He's the kind of guy who does so well when he's high on adrenaline. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility. Lendl is the Grand Slam whisperer. If you compare <laughs> what he's done, what he did with Murray and Zverev, that there's not dissimilarities there. Similar, not necessarily similar sorts of game, but I think similar sorts of characters. Murray's a very emotional guy. People think he's not, but he is. He is an emotional man, and that I think was the problem previously. I think Lendl will have a huge amount. Yeah, Zverev can talk about incubation periods with Lendl no matter what, but. I do think 2019 is his year. If if I have to if I have to put my thing on the line and, and not <laughs> what get things that you know exactly what thing it is <laughs> and not get on George's fence, I'd say Zverev will win a Grand Slam, but it relies on Djokovic having a kerfuffle. Which Grand Slam? My head says US. My heart says Aussie. Because wow. I'd love, I'd love to see him win the Australian Open, b- b- because I think it would really spice up 2019 as a year. Because there is a risk, much as I love Djokovic, there's a risk that he just kills everyone next year, and and it's not even interesting apart from the French. And that, much as that would be an amazing feat, I do like a bit of excitement and a bit of something different. Please do join us next time for the Love Tennis Podcast. I've been James Gray. He's been George Belshaw. Thank you very much for listening. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.